Well, uh, good morning. My name is uh, Andrew. I'm the campus pastor here. If I haven't met you, uh, it's good to be here with you. Um, if you don't know me very well, you, you may not know this, but I'm not a huge outdoorsy kind of guy. Um, and yet, for some reason, I work with a lot of people who are. There's something about Christ's community, I don't know what it is, that draws people in who love camping and all that stuff that I never want to do. So, uh, apparently, one of the best books on the, on the outdoors uh, is a book called uh, Into the Wild by John Krakauer. Maybe you've read it. I believe they made this into a movie as well. Uh, again, not, my, not totally my thing. I've not read this book, uh, but it, it sounded interesting. So I was in conversation uh, this week with someone uh, on staff, and they were telling me about this book. And apparently, so the, the main story is about a guy named Chris McCandless. I think I'm saying that right. Uh, but uh, this week, someone was telling me about, about how within that book, there's this kind of brief story about a guy named Carl McCunn. And uh, here's his story. So Carl um, had saved tons, you know, a lot of money over the year to spend the summer camping alone in Alaska. That was his dream. So just complete solitude for the summer. Uh, just him in the beautiful, pristine Alaska wilderness. So he planned it all out. He bought like um, 1,400 pounds of supplies, and he, he had it dropped by bush pilot, you know, right where he wanted it. And he planned everything out to the, to the minutest detail, except for one thing. After he got out there, he realized he had not planned his return trip home with the pilot. And he actually wrote in his diary, you know, I think I should have used more foresight about arranging my departure, which is a bit of an understatement. Um, but even after he, here's what's, you know, even after he realized that he'd made this mistake, he, he didn't think it was that big of a deal. Just a small mistake. Uh, the pilot who dropped me off, right, he'll remember that I'm here or my coworkers will get worried and they'll know who to call to figure out where I am. And he was so convinced, in fact, that he, that he was going to be found and be okay, that this wasn't a big deal. And instead of taking action, like, you know, hiking the 75 miles to the nearest uh, safety uh, station that he knew was there, he, he waited and he waited and he waited until eventually he ran out of food and he was too weak to do anything anyway. And the story doesn't end well. And my point there is that I work with people who read this for fun. This is what they do for fun, is they read about this. <laughs> now here's the point. So it's just, it's, it's an illustration. So it's just this tiny mistake, this one small misstep at the very beginning of something that has huge, disastrous consequences at the end. And that's really what this book of Galatians is, is all about. That's, we're starting a new eight-week series uh, in this letter of uh, Galatians this morning. It's, and it's direct, this letter is written by Paul, and it's directed to a church or, or a number of churches in Galatia. And it's, it's a ba these, are, these are brand new churches. They're baby churches. And they're, they're about to make a very simple but very profound mistake. See, they've come to love Jesus and to trust Him and to worship Him, but they're beginning to believe even just a little bit that as great as Jesus is, He isn't quite enough. And that what we really need, what they really need, is, that, is Jesus plus something else. And the moment you add to Jesus is the moment you lose Him altogether. And because this is so subtle and so important, we wanted to take a quick break from our series in Acts. If you were with us, we were in Acts for uh, several weeks uh, to study this book of Galatians for, for eight weeks. And this is, as I said before, is a letter to a church that Paul himself planted. 
Uh, this guy who, if you were here last week, he converted to, to Christianity in Acts chapter 9. And uh, there's a little debate here, but I think it's, it's most likely that this church is in the southern region of Galatia, which I have a map slide. It's not the best in the world, I'm sorry. But kind of this middle uh, yellow section is Galatia, just north of the Mediterranean Sea. And this southern section down here at the bottom is where uh, these churches, these group of churches probably were located. And he planted uh, probably uh, during his first missionary journey, which is described in the book of Acts. And these people are one of the first groups of people to respond to the gospel of Jesus, this, this good news. That's what gospel means. It means good news. This good news that, as we've been studying, is now spreading all over the Roman Empire and soon to the ends of the earth. But we wanted to pause and just learn from Paul from this letter. What, what is this gospel? In its essence, what is it? And what happens when you begin to lose it, as this Galatian church is threatening to do? That's why we called this series, it was called No Other, because there is no other gospel. We're going to hear that in this letter over and over and over again. There's nothing we can add to it. There's nothing we can take away from it to make it better news to us. So uh, I want us to take a look together. If you brought your Bible, turn to the book of Galatians. It's after the two Corinthian letters. If you can find those, it's right after that. Uh, chapter 1. I'm going to read the first few verses for us since we haven't read it yet. And, and if you would, um, please stand as I read God's Word from Galatians. Verse 1. Paul, an apostle, not from men nor through man, but through Jesus Christ, and God the Father who raised him from the dead, and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age, according to the will of God, of our God and Father, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Not that there is another one, but there are some who trouble you and want to distort the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you a gospel contrary to the one we preach to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, I say now again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel contrary to the one you received, let him be accursed. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Now, I don't know if... Um, you've ever written like a text or an email and you started off like this, <laughs> right? Hey, good afternoon. Um, you are royally screwing up your life. And I mean that from the bottom of my heart. I don't know. No, I, I don't know if I'd, re I'd recommend it <laughs> per se, but that's kind of what Paul is doing. You will not find a letter from Paul in the New Testament where he is as angry, as forward, as to the point as, as this one. And here's why. As, as I hinted before, the church in Galatia was built on a very simple gospel message from Paul. Very simple. And it's, it's the same message that our church is built on today. It's the same one. Paul gives a summary in his letter, actually right here in verses 3 to 5. It's, it's pretty good. He says, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, who, Jesus, who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age. Now, I just want to give you another way to summarize that that we'll probably be using throughout the series, okay? So, Here's another way of saying that. What, what is this gospel message that, that built this church and that we're built on as well? Here it is. The gospel is, good, is, is the good news of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, which if you trust him above all others, 
saves you from sin, and gives you new life. So I promise you throughout this series, we'll, we'll talk more about all of what that means. We'll, we'll keep explaining that. But it's, it's pretty simple. What I want you to see is it's pretty simple. And about 15 years after Paul's conversion, which we talked about again last week, he, he preached this simple message. Jesus died for you. He rose for you. You can have new life in him. He preached that very simple message to the towns in Galatia. It's, it's recorded in Acts 13 and 14. And they, and they ate it up. This church grew like that, especially among the Gentiles, the, the non-Jewish people that live there. And they began to realize that Jesus would die for them, and that by accepting that free gift in faith, simply putting their trust in Jesus to save them by his death, would reconcile them to God and change their lives forever. And it was almost too good to be true. They, they, they ate it up. You can read it in Acts 13 and 14. But then, at some point along the way, we don't exactly know when, but at some point along the way, these agitators show up, these troublers, is kind of how Paul describes them. They've come to trouble you. And he mentions them in Galatians 1. And, and they're saying something to the effect of, well, actually, it is too good to be true, what you've been told. Yes, Jesus is great, and he loves you, blah, 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 but if you really want to be saved, if you really want to be obedient, if you really want to be a good little Christian, you've got to become a Jew first. You need to follow the Abrahamic covenant, and specifically, it seems like they're saying you need to be circumcised, which is the theme throughout the Old Testament, to be a part of God's people you, is to be circumcised. They said you have to do that, which in the Gentile world, that was not done. It was unique to the Jewish people. You've got to do, right, just this, just this little bit more. You've got to become a Jew, and then you can be saved. That's the real gospel, you guys. And Paul hears that this is happening, that this is being taught in these churches. And as angry as he is at the agitators, which I'm sure he was, he is even angrier at the churches for listening at all. Later in this letter, he'll say, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? He says, what are you doing? What are you thinking? And here's why. When you add to the gospel, you ruin it. When you add to this simple message, you ruin it. And you ruin it in all kinds of ways. And that's kind of what Paul talks about here. He lays them out. And that's what I want us to look at too. So here's, here's the first thing that happens. When you distort this gospel message that we cling to, here's the first thing that happens. You end up exchanging good news for bad advice. Good news becomes bad advice. This is how Paul puts it. He says, um, he says, I'm astonished how quickly you're turning to a different gospel. And you can kind of put quotes around that. You've turned to a different gospel, a different good news. And then he says in verse 7, but really there isn't another gospel at all. You've turned to something totally different. The Galatians are thinking, no, we still have the gospel. It's just with a little bit extra, Paul. It's the same thing, just a little bit more. And Paul's adamant. He says, no. There is one gospel in the whole world. There's one. And everything else, anything else you hear is just advice. And often bad advice at that. Now, in Paul's day, this whole scenario that I'm describing, it looked very Jewish. And that's probably not the case today. We're probably not tempted to go out and obey the Old Testament law as a means to uh, pleasing God. That's not our thing anymore, at least not most of us anyway. But we're still tempted to look for advice when what we really need is good news. 
Now, I'm not down on advice, okay? I need advice from, and wisdom from friends and people who doesn't like Oprah now and again. She's got great advice, right? You get advice, and you get advice, and you get advice. We all get advice. <laughs> I'm sorry. I had to do that. I'm sorry. <laughs> uh, cheap shot. But even, here's the point. Even the best advice in the world is not good news. They are fundamentally different. Here's what I mean. Okay, here's just an here's an example. I was recently talking to somebody, a friend, who uh, wants to go back to school, and she's been planning on that for a while. And for years and years and years, uh, to make that possible, you know, people around her, wise people in her life, are saying, "Save up, save money. It's expensive. You know, make sure you're you're paying, you're, you're taking out as few loans as possible." Which is really, really good advice. It's good advice. But then. In the midst of all that, she got a phone call from an extended family member saying, hey, we actually found some money that your grandfather set aside for you, for your education, to pay for your schooling. He's already saved it all on your behalf. It's already done. See the difference? One is really good advice. One is amazing news. The difference between advice, even really good advice, and good news is profound. They're completely different things. Now, with that distinction, think about it. The world, our world, in, in, in the ancient world was no different. It's full of advice. Lots of advice. There's advice about what to do or not do, no matter how trivial it is that, that you need to do to be saved or to have a good life or to flourish or to succeed or to, I mean, whatever word you want to put at the end of that sentence, it, you, there's lots of lists of do's and don'ts to make your life better, that is not at all the gospel that Paul preached. And it's, and it's not the one that we need. Our good news is that Jesus, before you and I could do anything to help ourselves or save ourselves or become good people, whatever, before we had anything to offer to God, Jesus died for us on our behalf as a free gift of grace. That is not advice about what to do tomorrow. It is news about what has already been done on your behalf. Trust in Him and His sacrifice, and the gift is yours. Do you see the difference in what that is? When we add to that, or we take something away from it, we don't end up with another gospel. We end up with more advice. And what a foolish exchange that is. Because what we need is good news. We need good news. But that's not all, okay? The next thing Paul points out here, we, we miss the gospel, is this. This is what we end up doing. You exchange God's word to you for man's opinion of you. God's word to you, directly to you, for man's opinion of you. Okay, look at verse 11. Paul is, is adamant here. He says, For I would have you know, brothers, that the gospel that was preached by me is not man's gospel. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, apparently, these agitators behind Paul's back are accusing him that he made this whole gospel thing up. They're saying, wherever Paul and us disagree, Paul made it up. And Paul is saying, I didn't make this up. This isn't Paulism that I've taught you. This is what Jesus taught his disciples about the gospel and what he taught me, too, do you really want to exchange what Jesus says to you for, the, for words of man about you? 
And he goes on. Let me summarize a bit of what Paul's saying here. It's a, it's a little confusing in verse 13 and, and following. But here's basically what Paul says. He says, you know about me. He had a very famous story in the ancient Christian world. He says, you know how I hated, the Jew, how I hated Jesus and Christians, how I was the most devout religious Jew and zealot you've ever met. But Jesus grabbed me on the road to Damascus, and he, he took a hold of my life with his good news and he freed me from all of that. And then Paul says this in verse 15, but when he who had set me apart before I was born and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Now, here's what Paul's saying. I didn't go powwow with the other apostles in Jerusalem, Peter, James, and John in particular, and he'll talk more about them later in the letter. He said, I didn't go powwow with them and say, uh, and, and say, you know, what gospel should we preach together? <laughs> he said, God revealed this to us, to me and to them, and we completely agree on what God has revealed in Jesus. And not only that, he proved it. He proved the truth of this message of the gospel when he rose from the dead. He proved it. You don't need proof. Paul's saying, you don't need proof from me. Look at the empty tomb. Paul is saying uniquely that the gospel of Jesus is not another way that man reaches up to God to understand him. There's lots of examples of that. Christianity, the gospel, is uniquely God's word come down to us. A love letter to everyone, proven on Easter morning, proven with an empty tomb. Now, most, here's why I bring that up. Is that most religions and systems of thought, if you really think about it, they are just man's opinion. They are, they are basically general observations about the world that cannot be proven or disproven. They're just kind of statements about what is. I, I, here's what I mean. It's kind of like some people say, I think there's a God, and here's the reasons why I think that. And others say, I think there are many gods, and here's why I think that. And then there's some who say, I think there are no, there are no gods at all. There's nothing, and here's why I think that. Or my personal favorite, here's my personal favorite. There is a God, and he told me and me alone everything that you need to do to be right with him. Now, none of those are new ideas. Everything I just said, those are old, old religious ideas, every single one of them. And all of them represent, at the end of the day, an opinion about what the world is really like, and because of that, how we should live in light of it. But only the gospel says this. The gospel is very unique in the world of ideas. The gospel says Jesus is God, and every word he spoke, therefore, is eternally true. And he rose from the dead to prove it. He didn't just say it. He proved who he was. This is not based on the opinion of man or the authority of man. It did not come to a person praying in a cave. It did not come in words in a hat. It's not rooted in myth or in a just-so origin story. It is based upon the fact that on Easter morning that tomb was empty. And you've got to explain that. And the Christian argument is that God showed himself in Jesus and proved it in the resurrection in human history for anybody to see and investigate. Anybody. See how different that is? And here's the thing. If you find Jesus' body today, every Christian in the world will walk away from this thing. That's very different than most religious tradition, right? They're not, they're not disprovable. Christianity, if you find that body, we walk away. Paul says we should do that in another letter that he writes. He says, if there is no resurrection, 
If Jesus is still, if, if Jesus is dead, we are to be pitied above all other people because we have been profoundly duped. It is all or nothing. This gospel does not claim to be an opinion among many. It claims to be God's true and unbreakable word directly to you. There's nothing like that. Nothing. And to exchange that for anything else, anything else, is to choose just another opinion of man over your life. Which in Paul's mind is not just a foolish decision, it's a destructive decision. Man's opinion is, is here's, and here's why, man's opinion, man's ethical construct, man's way of organizing the world is terrible. Just, just think about it this way. You know, we're going to talk more about kind of what, what is religion versus the gospel throughout this series. Let me just give you kind of an example here. You know what um, every religious belief system really ends up boiling down to? If you really drill down, um, it, it's, a, it's like another social media. Here's what I mean. Okay, it's another Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, whatever. Not that those things are inherently, inherently wrong or bad, but at their worst, social media at its worst, is a means by which we gather people together to compete with each other about who is doing life the best. With its own set of rules and, you know, whatever that is, okay? It's posts and ideas and pictures to prove to us over and over again that we are broken, we are losers, that there's a big problem with us and that we'll never measure up and that there's nothing you can do about it. Okay, that's, you know why there's anxiety and isolation in our world today? We are bathed in that. Okay, that's religion. That's what that is. That's not, that is not God's word to you in the gospel today. The gospel is God's promise to you that no matter what anybody else says, in his opinion, which is the only opinion in the world that matters, you are as wonderful and as good as Jesus who lived the perfect life for you. So that when he sees you, he sees his son Jesus, and he calls you daughter, son, brother, sister, friend, and that when you accept that gospel in faith, you can't out his love for you. And with all that in mind, Paul is writing this letter. He is slapping his forehead. Why would you ever, ever go back to another opinion about life? Because all that does is it leads to more slavery. Slavery, that's our third point. When we miss the gospel... We go back to slavery. The Galatians uh, are taking this free gift of grace from Jesus and his love and his acceptance and his friendship and his approval, and they're turning it in for more slavery. If you look at the beginning of chapter 2, now Paul describes a time where he uh, brought along his friend Titus um, to like a Christian meeting, and you know, Titus is not circumcised, and nobody cared. It's fine. He's a Christian. You don't have to be circumcised to be a Christian. But then he says this in verse 4, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery. To them we did not yield in submission even for a moment so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. 
The gospel frees us. That's what it does. And anything we add to it or replace it with enslaves us. When we add to the gospel, even just a little bit of whatever, you know, gospel plus American dream or politics or rules or the perfect family, whatever achievement you add on, all we do is simply enter slavery again. Probably not the slavery of the Mosaic law that's kind of the example here, but slavery all the same. How many of us feel enslaved to the opinions of our peers? How many of us uh, are feeling enslaved to our opinion of ourselves? To the insane achievement culture we create in our workplaces and in our schools, or slaves to the desires and addictions we can't control, or slaves even to our own sense of what it is to be a good person and to do good. Looking for an approval or an acceptance at the end of life, well done, good and faithful servant, that none of those things can provide. Jesus' freedom is very different from that. Where we think we need to earn our way to freedom, to come up with our own standards of life and to live up to them by our own bootstraps, which we cannot do. Jesus says, come to me, you're already free. You're already accepted. And if you give me your life, we will work that freedom out together into every nook and cranny of your life. Freedom from your need to please and your need to control and your fears and anxieties and your addictions and your pains. It will take time, yes, but Jesus says, come to me, I will give you the freedom to live well and to love well, to be whole. To have tasted that freedom and then to reject it, that's insanity. It's, it's worse than that. It's stupidity. It's slavery. And when we slip back into our slavery here, what we're saying to Jesus, really, what we're saying is, Jesus, as great as you are, you're not enough. Your word about me is not enough. Your, prom your promises to me, they are not enough. I need more. I need something else. I need anything else to feel whole again. I can tell you from experience, right, if his love is not enough, if the gospel of freedom is not enough to set you free, then nothing, nothing will. We will be slaves forever. And this leads to our last point. It might be the, it might be the real crux of it for Paul. When we add to this gospel, when you miss what it really is, you end up with bad advice, you end up with condemnation, opinion. You end up with slavery. And finally, you exchange him for an it. You exchange him for another it. And this is subtle, but I, lo I love how Paul describes this in verse 6 to the Galatians. He says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting him and are turning to it, a different gospel. See, for Paul, the fundamental problem here uh, is not uh, philosophical. It's not two philosophical systems of life put side by side, which one's better. It's not two traditions. It's not two ethical frameworks or theological categories. The fundamental problem and the fundamental choice that confronts us in the gospel is whether we choose just another human system of life or we choose the Son. That's it. You can have it or you can have Him. And that, that feels so subtle to say, but I want, I want him, but just one more, th one more it. 
with him. You know, Jesus and my career success. That's what makes me really, Jesus and my spiritual performance. Just, it feels like just a little mistake, just a little thing. But it's killing us. It's robbing us of the power of the gospel. Because to add to this gospel, to add to Jesus, is ultimately to reject him altogether. So do you want another it in your life? Or do you want him? And I don't care where you are this morning in your own spiritual journey, okay? Maybe you've been listening and you hate this message so far. I get it. That's fine. But can we all admit together, no matter where we are, deep down, that what we really are looking for in life is not another system, is not a set of rules, is not a to-do list that we can check off and feel good about ourselves. Can we admit that no matter how many times we look in the mirror and say you're good enough and you're smart enough and gosh darn it, people like you, (laughs) that we don't believe it. That no achievement and no success and no accolade and no romantic relationship and no marriage will actually satisfy that inner voice. That voice that cries out for someone, for anyone, of infinite beauty and glory and honor and wisdom and love and power to say, you are my beloved child. I found you. I was looking for you and I found you. Who doesn't want that? And Paul is saying, don't you know that is what the gospel is that is what it, it's him it's him the one you've been waiting for he's found you he came to earth he died for you he lived for you to save you and he's right here in front of you there's no it that can compete with him so don't turn from him there's nothing you can add to this that will make it better And it's right here in front of you today. It's right there, this minute. It's as simple as receiving the cup and the bread in communion. It's that that tangible to you, which is what we're going to do in a few minutes. Jesus says this simple ritual is a picture and a reminder to us today that he does not come to offer good advice. He comes to offer good news. To remember, remember Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me. To remember what he has already done in the blood shed and the body broken, symbolized by these elements. And if you're here today and you're his, you you, you believe this gospel, come, receive the gift, taste the grace, and you know what? Leave everything else behind. Leave it in your seat. And if you're here today and you're not sure on this gospel thing yet, that's okay. That's all right. I'm glad you're here. Stay in your seat during this time. Consider what you've heard. And if you're ready, maybe pray to God. Ask him, reveal yourself to me. I don't know you. I don't know if I believe in you, but show yourself to me. I promise you. God wants nothing more than for you to receive his good news in Jesus. That's what he wants. So ask him for that. Before we come, let's pray together. Father, I pray for each one here. For those who know you and love you and want nothing more than to serve you. And for those 
gosh, maybe they don't even know why they're here. And yet something's drawn them here. God, for each one of us, draw us closer to your son. Reveal him to us. God, in our, in our prayers and how we receive these elements, may we meet him again and remember together this amazing news we have in Christ. I pray this in his name. Amen. When you're ready to come, there are stations all around the room. Please come.